Welcome to our midweek Bible study and we're continuing in Peter. Uh, We're not continuing exactly because we're skipping verses 10 and 11 and 12. We're going to shift them into one of the Sunday services. It uh, fixes in with some of the things we'll be looking at there. So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and starting at verse 13 tonight. And we read there, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So the subject tonight is holiness or sanctification. What are some one-word descriptions of holiness? Some things you could think of. Well, a few I've got here is purity, separation, clean living, sinlessness, sanctification. These all have to do with holiness. And... um, the first point that we have, or the point we put everything under tonight, is yes, holiness, but the sanctification of our souls in salvation. God wants his people to be holy as he is holy, plainly stated in the verse we read tonight. Let's pray before we look at our study this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and may it take root in our lives, and may we change into the, be changed into the image of Christ as we hear and heed the word tonight. Lord, we, we are living in, in a sinful world. We have sinful natures, our old nature. We have a new nature. And Lord, we can submit to the truth and sanctify ourselves and live holy as you are holy. But Lord, we, this takes a determination, uh, an exercising of our will to choose what is right and put off what is wrong and put on. Lord, the good, the word of God. Bless the word as it's ministered to our hearts tonight through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the points we've looked at so far in 1 Peter is the source of our salvation, verse 1 and 2, the security of our salvation, verses 3 to 5, the song of our salvation, verses 6 to 9, the ones we've skipped are the saints of the Old Testament and our salvation, and the sons of God and our salvation. They're, they're the two we're skipping, but we're going on this evening with this, the sanctification of our souls in salvation. This is a prerequisite for holiness. In verse 3, we see these three points. Uh, the prerequisite for salvation, the prerogative of holiness, uh, that's verse 14, and the premise for holiness. And so the prerequisite for holiness, we've got three points in verse 13. Be dexterous, be disciplined, and be diligent. Uh, Prerequisites for holiness. Be dexterous. Be on the ball. (laughs) Be prepared. What does it mean as we read in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And notice the word, wherefore. We ask what it's there for, and you have to read the verses before. Because the prophets 
and the sons of God, that's the angels, desire to look into the salvation and, and what was going on and what was happening. They, they didn't understand the mystery of the church, which was hidden in ages past. And uh, the, because of the trial of our faith that Peter had already talked about, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. So what does it mean to gird up? Well, it was customary in Peter's day for men to wear long flowing robes. And that would hinder their movement if they wanted to move quickly in uh, some strenuous work or some activity. And so they'd grab the bottom of their robe and tuck it up into their girdle, like we'd say the belt, and uh, give them the ability to move quicker and uh, do more strenuous things. It's like the Lord Jesus in John thirteen four, where he was, he was going to wash the disciples' feet. He girt up his belt he girt up his coat that he might serve and he took the towel and it's like Peter when in John 21 verse 7 there he did the same thing when he saw or John said there's that's the Lord on the shore with the fish and he girt up his uh, costume in his girdle and they then went for it so gird up the loins is equivalent of what we say today, roll up your sleeves, roll up your sleeves. And Peter applied this custom to the mind of the believer. Get your mind ready for action. Be dexterous, be on the ball. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it reads, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, again speaking about the mind, Paul said there, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get it all together. Don't let it hang loose. It's dangerous for us to do that. For Proverbs says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, and the first part of that, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If we don't have a disciplined, a girt mind, and it's all flowing and flopping everywhere, then we're, in, we're going to be in trouble. In Second Corinthians, in the book of Second Corinthians, and chapter 10, Verse 5, we read, casting down imaginations, the mind, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Yeah, that's girding it up. That's bringing it all in and keeping it a tight ship, as it were, with our mind because it's easy for our minds to wander, particularly if we're not busy. Idle hands find mischief. And so be dexterous, be on the ball in our minds. Be disciplined back there in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be sober. Uh, we think of this as abstinence from intoxicating drink. And uh, it does involve that, but it involves more than that. It refers to the spirit of self-control 
that will keep us from being intoxicated by anything. You know, so we can be intoxicated by other things too, not drunk as it were, but we can be drunk in lust of other things. We can be drunk with the lust for money, the lust for things, the lust for power. And, um, and God was, doesn't want us to do that. We would to be sober in all areas of our life, to, to think right. Persuading a man to stop drinking will have little effect on him if he hasn't got self-control. And this is what it's talking about here, being sober. Believers are to be self-disciplined or self-controlled. Be sober. In First Thessalonians, and we'll turn to this one, it's in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And verses 6 to 8. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And it's talking about the Lord's coming. And in relation to that, we're to be sober and to be looking around and, and thinking through things, not just approaching life with a blasé attitude. Wherefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So there we're told to be sober. And uh, sons of the day, verse 8 of the same chapter, let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. And of course it's not talking about someone being drunk in these occasions, but having a sober mind, being on the ball, sober in our thinking, disciplined in our thinking. First Timothy 2 verse 9 and 15 and chapter 3 and verse 11 speak of women and wives they are to be sober in their thinking, sober in raising the children, sober in providing the meals, sober in keeping house, as the scriptures plainly speak about. Sober in their, uh, Proverbs 31, sober in uh, all sorts of business. Uh, a non-sober mind is not a person that can be in leadership because they're not keeping track on their thoughts, they're not planning ahead, they're not getting, getting things, their ducks in a row, as we, we would say. Romans 12 and verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Figure it out. We don't know everything. God does. But we're to think soberly and get ourselves in right perspective where we fit in. Who is God? How great is he? And so we're to be dexterous, we're to be disciplined, and thirdly in verse 13, we're to be diligent and hope to the end, Peter said in, the, in, that, in that verse there. <laughs> Gird up and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the, at the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope to the end. Doesn't mean that if we hold on, you know, on our, with our own strength, we're going to get saved in the end. Some people misinterpret that verse in verse uh, chapter 24 of Matthew. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> Hope to the end. And in fact, in that verse, that is not even speaking to believers of this generation or the church period. It's talking about those in the tribulation. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. And not a whole lot of people will in that day. But the expression to the end could be translated completely. The idea is that we are to set our hope completely on the grace of God, which was to be brought us 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And folks, we, we have experienced the grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. We've experienced it in salvation of our souls. But th that day, the grace of God will be extended further in translating us into the very image of Christ to receive an immortal body. Think about this. Hope to the end. When it's not a hope it might happen, it will happen, and we can encourage ourselves in this. And we're to be diligently thinking on these things. This is holiness. This is how to, to uh, have a pre, the, the, the forerunner for holiness, prerequisites for holiness. Be dexterous, be disciplined, be diligent. Dexterous in our mind, disciplined in our thinking, and diligent in our goal, hoping to the end. And the prerogative of holiness is seen in verse 14 and the second part of verse 15. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, in all manner of conversation. So those, the, verse 14 and the part of verse 15, obedient children. Peter called his readers obedient children. They had obeyed the truth in the past, obeyed the gospel. And Peter was and, and, and living as a Christian life, a good Christian life. But Peter was urging them again to be obedient in matters of holiness. Um, negatively stated in verse 14. Now, Beware of people that's, that major just on the positive aspects of Christianity. You know, a lot of churches today just preach on the love of God. Read the Old Testament. <laughs> Read the Ten Commandments. They don't deal with the negatives. Do not forget that God himself believes in negatives. Thou shalt not, as I refer to the commandments. God knows that in order to have positive holiness, the negatives must be dealt with as well. Peter said that we must not fashion ourselves according to the pattern of this world. You know, some people say, well, love covers everything and I can do anything I want and, and God's grace will, you know, no, no. God's not pleased with people that behave nor think that way. This phrase appears only one other time in the scriptures and it's found, guess where, in Romans 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. The idea in, in Peter here, not fashioning ourselves and not being conformed in Romans, is that the unsaved world has a certain shape or style a certain pattern into which it tries to force everybody and it's so evident in the media and everywhere today especially on the left side they want to force other people to believe and behave like they want them to and of course they want to be the leaders and force us into that mold and the, and the unsaved and unregenerate world wants the christian to do that because we're a rebuke if we live holy to their lifestyle they don't like that but I remember being at school and we made we, we made a clay object, then we put plaster around it, and then the plaster set, and then we cut it in half, and we had two halves of this mould of an animal, I don't know what it was I made, and then you poured this real runny clay, it's like just muddy water, real thick muddy water, into it, and, and put it back together, and, and the, the plaster, once it was dried, would absorb it and would make a shell of a an animal or whatever you had and then you glaze it and everything else like that and it was into the mold you poured that liquidy into the it just flopped into the mold christians are not 
to do that. We're not just to fall into line with the world. We're to fall in a line with the holiness of God and be not conformed. It reminds me of the car manufacturers for the, the mudguard on your car or the, the fender on the, the car. I don't know what... <laughs> and it's got a, a base mould that sits firm. I put a sheet of metal over the top. It all happens automatically. And then the, the brake press, they call them, it comes down and it's moulded the same shape as the bottom one. And the tin just goes... Presses into shape. It just can't stop, can't help being pressed into shape. Some Christians are like that. They can't help themselves because their mind is not being disciplined. It's not being dexterous. It's not being diligent. And we're, we're forming into this, the, the world standard. And we might say, huh, they become fender benders. The fender is bent into shape of the mould. Don't let the world do that to you. Don't go after the pattern of the world. If we do nothing, if we just coast along in our Christian life, you know what we're going to become? Like the world. The Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to become, us to become like him. And it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes exercising our spiritual muscles to be like the Lord. Actively resisting the mold in order to be becoming like the world. The pattern of the world takes many forms. We need to resist its pattern. You know, the, it, it, there are some areas we can be forced into its mould. You think of them. What are some areas that you... Some areas you might be tempted to be forced into its mould. Dress, music, thoughts, entertainment, buying things, selling things, habits way we think, where we go, so many things. We are to resist the pattern of the world. There is a sense in which our former sinful lust and deeds were committed in ignorance. Peter said that. He said in verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Not being forced into the mould because you just did it ignorantly. You just went along with it. This is the way everyone does. This is the way the world is. And this is not an excuse for Christians. The truth of the matter is that we had to no desire then as an unsaved person to do anything different. Our nature was sinful and we could do anything we wanted to and displease God including that. We were ignorant of anything else. And notice what Acts 3.17 and 17.30 say. 3.17 and now brethren... I want that through ignorance ye did it. That is, they killed Christ. He's, uh, Peter's preaching to the to Jews just after Pentecost. As did your rulers. Through ignorance ye did it. But now I'm telling you something different. Acts 17.30 And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands everyone, all men everywhere, to repent. You see, the days of ignorance, we can't plead ignorance to the judge anymore because the revelation of God has been given, the Lord has died, and so and the Lord has declared. But unsaved people don't want to know about this because I'll have to give up all the things I've been moulded to think are right. Romans 10.3 For they being ignorant, the Jews, of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. 
they just follow the law for righteousness. It works salvation and does never work. God said it's faith righteousness just like Abraham and David and it was imputed to them when they believed. But they were ignorant and God said, no, time's up. You don't, you repent now. You're not forced into that. I mean, in Ephesians 4.16, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance, this is talking about unsaved people, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Negatively stated, positively stated, that's the prerogative of holiness, negatively and now positively stated. In verse 15, but, be, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Not only must the believer stop doing certain things in order to be holy, he must also do some, something positive. And it tells us what we are to start doing, and it's to be holy. In sharp contrast to being fashioned after the former lust in our ignorance. God has a new standard, a new example for the believer. B in that verse, verse 15, implies not what I am, but what, rather what I am becoming. Be- becoming. Positionally, we are already sanctified. We're set apart by the Lord. Set apart or we are holy. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified or holy in Christ. And you think of the Corinthian church. They, we could say they were far from holy, but Peter, uh, Paul said they were holy. They're positionally holy, but their walk was otherwise. They were being moulded by the world. They weren't being holy. They were positionally holy, but not progressively becoming like the Lord Jesus, which the Lord wants us to become. Hebrews ten fourteen, By one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified or them that are holy. So in Christ and with the Holy Spirit dwelling within, we have inward holiness and positional holiness. Now that inward holiness should be demonstrated in in conduct, working out what God has already wrought within us, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it says in Philippians 2.12. So what is holiness? The word has a root idea of being set apart. In the Old Testament, Certain items of furniture in the uh, um, tabernacle were set apart, in the temple later on were set apart. Certain items were uh, set apart, made holy for the priest's use. This didn't mean there were anything inherently better about one vessel or another. It simply meant that these vessels were set apart for the use in the service of the Lord in the things pertaining to God. Uh, This is the idea of our holiness as well. To be holy means that we set ourselves apart, apart from the world, apart from the things of the world, so that we might be used of the Lord as the tabernacle and its furniture was. If we're defiled with the things of the world, we'll be not much use to him because the Lord doesn't use unholy things and contaminated things or blemished things. The Lord wants to use only that which is holy and pure. Simply stated then, holiness is a life of victory over sin. It's a life of purity and separation. It's living like Christ. And the driving motive of of such living is to desire to be more effective for the Lord Jesus in our ministry. And this goes contrary to human nature. We want to do things that please ourselves. How often Paul 
was challenged and we as Christians are challenged you know when I would do good evil is present with me what's the evil to please ourselves to serve ourselves to to meet our own needs and not do the Lord's work morally we'll take the path of least resistance you know if the um, <laughs> lawn needs mowing it's a sunny day Saturday and, oh, well a little bit longer I'll sit in the couch a little bit longer I'll do this oh it's time to have a coffee now and by time you know it's gotten dark <laughs> and uh, you haven't done what you should have got up and done and, and, and in, in God's work likewise we can put it off and we can please ourselves but one day judgment these all these things will be brought into judgment let's please the lord the question may arise how holy must i be well the scripture answers this very clearly we are to be holy in all manner of conversation in that verse 15 in all manner of conversation all manner of life every area of life nothing's excluded i know that dad if we didn't get a hundred we didn't do well enough (laughs) It's uh, tough having someone get 96 is still an A. I think it was 90 to 100, you had an A and B was 90 and below, whatever. But um, that's not good enough. 96% holiness is not good enough. God wants it in every area of our life. Let's consider two major areas of our life, our personal habits and our church relationships. Holiness on a personal level. What about our music? Is it holy? Would heaven play this music? Would God be bouncing around and rapping and doing all the nonsense they do and mosh pits and not in your life? <laughs> you'll, you'll say, oh yes, uh, wait a minute. You get there and you'll see, you'll see otherwise. I am concerned that Christians in church have one standard outside and they play this sort of music in their cars and in their homes that's not glorifying to God, it's not edifying for the Lord. Oh, it's Christian music. No, it's stuff borrowed from the world. It's the world's way of doing it. What about intoxicating beverages? We are to be filled with the Spirit, not with that sort of stuff. Not even the first drink is when you start getting drunk because if you didn't have it, you wouldn't get there. What about movies and television and all the things, that, you know, these things? What about just a little bit of unholiness? You know, the 4%. I've got 96 on the exam. What about just a, a swear word now and then? Uh-uh. The Lord says no. And I hear people who are unheard of, people who come here that swear. You know, they didn't know that I would hear it or hear about it. You know, l- let me make it sort of graphic. If I was making a um, black forest cake I like them pretty rich now they got cherries in it all sorts of good icing and layers of cream but if I just got a little bit of doggy do and stuck it in the mix just a little bit it, it looked the same the cake would look the same probably even taste the same maybe a bit gritty or something would you be tempted to eat it you say, no way. <laughs> I saw you put that in. Well, is it any different with God? You see, God is absolute holiness. God asks us in Colossians to put off the old life, 
Put off the former things. Don't be pressed into the mould of the world and put on Christ. So we are to put off, there's a negative and there's a positive to put on. And we're to be holy for the Lord. While we must name certain things to put off, we must be careful that we do not create the impression that these are the only things to avoid. Things change. Desires change. Temptations change. The world changes. Standards change. Um, we must learn principles of holiness and separation to God so that we can make proper judgment no matter what kind of sin surfaces in our life or in this world. We must consider now this matter of holiness on a church level, a personal level and a church level. We must avoid anything that is defiling or displeasing to God. On Sunday, we talked, I don't know if it was, I think it was in the evening message, we talked about Revelation chapter 17 and the, the harlot church, the woman's riding the beast, the political system. That's where religion's going to end. We need to stay as far away from that as we can, even if it means we remain small in our fellowships. We need to re remain independent. And uh, one of the wisest few words that were shared was shared by a dying man, dying of cancer in a week or two. He, he died after I visited, laying in bed, couldn't get out. He said to me, don't let anyone pull your strings. Don't let anyone pull your strings. Don't let any denomination pull your strings. Remain independent, even if it costs you where you have to labour, working with your hands, as Paul did, so that they may not try to pull your strings. We must avoid anything that would defile, anything that would displease God. And Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 7, verse 1. You know, what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Nothing. No doggy doos in it. You've got to keep a pure, clean life. No national council of churches, world council of churches. Let's all get together. We can be more effective if we all pull this thing together. Groups, charismatic groups, no. You know, or, or they, they're Christians, we can work with them, no. Not if they're not doing that, which is right. So holiness on a church level, it needs to be practiced. And because it's not practiced, many churches are going the way, out of the way, in the mold of the world. You know, you, you, could, you could state some standards that 50 years ago, all the churches had, but, but one might not have. Now it's the other way around. One church has a standard that all gone down the tube. God's more interested in purity than size. The positive side of this truth is that we need to fellowship with churches and organisations on a church basis and keeping ourselves clean. Organisations which take the same stand and we can support each other and that's what we do. The premise for this holiness, what's the basis of this holiness? Why be this way? Verse 15 and 16, the verse, first part of verse 15, but as he who hath called you is holy. Why should we be holy? Because he who has saved us, who has called us to salvation, is holy. Because it is written, verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This is the premise of holiness. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. 
the New Testament calls us to be holy, as in this verse. The Old Testament commanded them to be holy. The Old Testament, do it or else. The New Testament, you can do it if you wish. There are consequences if you choose the wrong. God calls us to holiness. Our God is a holy God. He is separate and set apart. That's why when the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, bore our sins on the cross, the Father turned away and darkness came upon them as the Lord Jesus was bearing our sins in his body on the tree because God is holy and he cannot look upon unholiness. He cannot tolerate sin. And that's why there's going to be severe judgment for those who don't let the Lord Jesus bear their sins but bear them themselves. It's going to be a horrendous eternity. Nothing in this world can come close to what hell is going to be like, where the fire is not quenched, where the worm dieth not, where they are tormented in this flame. Read it. Jesus spoke about it and warned us of the place. It's not been made for people. It's been made for the devil and his angels, but people choose to rebel and go that way and remain in their sin. Someone has said that holiness may be the foundational attribute of God, that it forms the basis of all the rest of his character. And you read Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, said Isaiah, and, and he was, um, he was he, he, I am undone. He said, I am undone. When he come in, 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 to face the holiness of God, as in that, read it. Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 3. We are to be holy for God is holy. Some may read this and say, I cannot be holy like that, like God. He is perfect. There's some areas that I don't even know I'm sinning in. I'm being moulded by the world in. He is perfect, but I fail so often. Paul said it in Romans chapter 7. This is true of all of us. However, Peter did not say to be holy like or as God is holy. He told us to be holy for or because God is holy. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frame. He knows we're in a, a fleshly frame and we will be tempted to, to sin. And so, praise God, we can be... God forbid that we say, well, because of the grace of God and the love of God, I can get away with it. No, if we know we sin. If we know something's right and we don't do it, to us it is sin. It is sin and it's offensive to the Lord and it's grieving to the Holy Spirit. And so let's put off the old ways, the old man and the deceitful lust and put on the new man, be moulded by the Lord, not by the world, and please the Lord. As it is, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, till we meet again, stay true to the Lord. Don't be tempted to go astray. God be with you and bless you until we meet on Sunday. Thank you.